Circle of Birth podcast, reclaiming our birth potential with ancient wisdom and stories from birth and beyond, sharing the rich spectrum of family diversity and transformation, stories worldwide bringing together community and connectivity. Come together with story medicine and inspire at our unique birth journeys. We breathe, we birth, we become. Welcome. What a year. And what a bunch of wise human beings I've talked to in 2017. This will be the last podcast for the year as I very much wind down and do plug from all the channels and all the things. I'm in some deep need for reflection and I think self-care beckons. I feel like I'm a humanitarian human and in a whole sense, the more work I do on my personal self, the more I realise that I'm part of this wide network of healing, growth, wisdom, learning. That's the feminine and the masculine. So I really want to, with all my heart, thank this year's people that have contributed for 2017 to the podcast. And I also want to thank everyone that's listened and provided their love and support. Each comment, it just lifted the level of my inspiration to keep doing this podcast and each time I interviewed someone I was bouncing off the chair and running to tell the first person I saw about how amazing I've just been gifted with this hour of these stories from these people and I I just hope it's resonated on to the wider community. I'm not sure where, where the Circle of Birth will head in 2018 Yet I know that I personally have been shaped by these stories. The medicine in each story has resonated and I know whatever decisions I make will be fueled by this project and the people around it. Amy Singh, I want to thank you for coming in this past month and offering to edit my appalling grammar. She's been amazing and really quick and efficient that I would spend ages on a sentence and she can make it sound quite good in a matter of seconds. So it makes a huge difference to the time to get these podcasts out. Um, It takes about three to five hours solid work. I want to really thank you, Amy, because it's just made a huge help for me. And so here, welcome to the Home Birth Conference podcast. Yay, finally. Australia is really fortunate enough to have this amazing group, Home Birth Australia, The conference was held early in November with a wide range of speakers and birth time documentary, the trailer was released and we had the awesome Zoe Naylor who I interviewed in podcast episode 14 hosting the show. There was probably not a dry eye when she showed her beautiful birth video with Bo. It was just gorgeous. So honestly, this podcast took some time for me to edit I immediately had blockages and those blockages were surrounding my own midwifery studies. This is again why I'm taking the reflection time to seek out my direction and why exactly is my role in human rights, birth rights, supporting midwifery um, and a lot of thought after this conference. So thank you. Please enjoy this beautiful ensemble of women and please sure to check out the blog as I've placed their names, quotes, images and links and see you on the 2018 side. Here is Amanda, who's a naturopath and a doula, and we talk before the conference begins. Okay, welcome. Hi. How are you feeling? Ready for the conference. 
excited. I came to the home birth conference. I've never been before. I didn't have home births, um, but I work as a doula and really, really interested in lots about the physiology of home birth and how to create more access to home birth as well. Heard lots of great home birth stories and have connected in with women who've had home births postnatally and just the shift in their empowerment around their vision of birth and what that looked like and how that felt for them and what that brought into their life and learning into their life is really different in comparison to um, women that maybe have struggled within the hospital system. Some women don't and that's great, but some women really do struggle. And so that if I was having another birth, it would be moving into home birth as well. Are you aware by 2019 that the government, government exemption for private midwives will end? Sadly, yes. So that's part of becoming more active in the home birth community is finding out how to support the ongoing home birth as well. The seed is that vision that home birth is normal and that it is the most accessible way and the most accepted way to birth and that hospital births are for people that do need assistance and do need support through the medical system. But I think the biggest seed is and the biggest growth is, is nurturing that paradigm shift away from needing the hospital to birth because we can birth anywhere. We just need women and support and our babies. More conferences, more women talking about the issues that matter and more birthing mothers reclaiming that and demanding that option for themselves and for their children, for their daughters. That's my hope. There's something powerful about all these women together in this space that, yeah, needs to happen more of. Mm. And speaking of women together in spaces, can you tell us about the Wise Women Gathering? Sure. So the Wise Women Gathering is a yearly conference that is run in Webbs Creek, which is uh, outside of Sydney, about an hour and a half outside of Sydney. And we're surrounded by this beautiful river that encloses the whole space that we're in. Um, it's a three-day conference and it runs on the second weekend in January. So it's coming up in 2018. And it's a conference, it's a herbal women's conference. So it's a gathering for women to create sacred space and share and welcome knowledge from our elders and from our young wise women as well. Um, so there's a really diverse age group. Women, children, babies, families are all there and nurtured. Um, and we've got 30 different workshop speakers over the three days. Um, Jane... Harding Collins, Hardwick Collins, Hardwick Collins, Hardwick, Hardwick Collins um, will be there. She's one of the workshop coordinators. Uh, we have Bastian McPhee, who is one of the keynote speakers this year, and Pat Collins, who's another amazing herbalist, um, who's a keynote speaker as well. So we've got an amazing cohort of women that have woven this gorgeous space together to create knowledge and hand down traditions and women's knowledge that 
we have sadly lost touch with a lot of us in our daily lives. Kids and there's a men's camp too. Yeah, so this year the men's camp is running, um, it's a separate camp running at the same time. So it's about three kilometres away. So the men folk and young boys uh, from about the age seven, I guess, um, and they're going to do their own sort of reclaiming of the, the masculine and the men's camp. And so they're running in that space. Women are running in our space. And, you know, the vision is eventually at the end of that camp for the families to come back together again and, and really connect on a deep level. All women should have a safe space to be able to come together and, and learn this knowledge, you know, hand it on and, and to offer their own learnings as well. Thank you, Amanda. Here's Natalie, a student midwife. I guess where I was born um, was out the back of, in the Great Dividing Range, so out the back of Tari and Wingham, there's a little place called Elands, and um, I was raised in a very remote way, so you couldn't walk to the next door neighbour's house, you know, it was a, so a very remote living, and um, as a result of that, developed a very strong connection to nature and um, so what brought me here long story short is the belief that women need to return home not just to their houses but home to the earth to birth. Really grateful and inspired to be surrounded by like-hearted women um, who know the importance of unmedicalized birth and know the consequences of medicalized birth on women and on babies and the lifetime repercussions that that can have and who are brave enough to stand up and um, speak the truth for what we deserve what is our birthright or a human right for women and children I am a student midwife but I'm sitting on the fence about whether I'll finish my degree or not because I don't actually know whether being a registered midwife will facilitate me to help women in the capacity that I want to help them in. Um, I'm a little bit afraid that being registered would limit my ability to work in authenticity and so if I end up being a doula for the rest of my life I'm happy with that some of the best midwives I've met and most beautiful practices I've seen have been from unregistered um lay midwives <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah unrestricted unrestricted yeah. and yeah. even though that is frowned upon and looked down upon I feel if these women were seen truly seen for the skill that they have and truly acknowledged for that skill um I think that acknowledgement requires a complete shift in our paradigm and, and our way of seeing things because it is derived from women's business and women's business is sacred and women's business is often secret and so what happens in women's business um, stays in women's business and isn't scrutinised by a patriarchal um, hierarchy. <laughs> I feel that supporting home birth is about empowering women to realise that having a home birth is actually the safest option. Um, So what we did last night in Circle with Jane, um, the few simple steps about helping break down the separation between women and helping women realise that um, we've come from the one one mama womb and we are little embodiments 
of that um, macrocosmic mother. And in our microcosm, in our small human form, we have the most divine, sacred instrument inside of our bodies, which is our womb to bring forth life. And that that womb is a very empathetic space that we, if we drop down out of our minds and into our bodies, we can have the experience that we're not separate from each other. And so then naturally we want to support each other and naturally your heart is my heart and your health is my health and we don't that separation's removed and from that space we're naturally going to make the best choices for ourselves and we're going to be supported in those choices because our sisters will be with us so empowerment of women is the best step um, towards home birth which involves us living in our authenticity and not being bullied into the social norms of um, how women should be, you know, plucked, shaved, beautiful, you know, aesthetically living up to this model of, of something that isn't real. You know, we come in all forms and in all ways and that is so sacred and holy. Here is Beth, who is a midwife. From Bega yesterday with my good friend Ali. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and what brought me here? I am on a path to being a home birth midwife and was hoping to network and meet some other inspiring midwives. I read an article on the way here today about language used in birth and pregnancy and I really it resonated with me listening to Maggie talking about risk particularly. Though we use the word risk very often. And perhaps we should be instead referring to women's needs and, and underlying things instead of using that big word risk. Well, but home birth needs to be more in the mainstream and Home Birth Australia really should be championing that. They should be supporting home birth to be a more mainstream topic. Well, I would like to be able to offer women choice and at the minute there is none, so... That's my intention, to be a home birth midwife for the community. Here is Eloise, who is a doula. Well, I travelled here today from Springwood in the Blue Mountains. Um, and, yeah, I've been so excited to come because the conference is here in Sydney, which is near to home. I've often yeah, watched it sort of travelling around Australia and thinking, oh, it's too far away. So, yeah, as soon as I saw it was in Sydney, I booked in straight away and knew it would be another amazing weekend with lots of really inspiring women and yeah I just feel so inspired to be part of um, part of the movement or the the tribe or the calling to protect birth and women's rights in birth and yeah to just bring my my awareness and my consciousness and my energy to um, to birth like and yeah, that's that's where my passion lies and where my joy springs from. So just following that, really. At the moment, I'm pretty busy with studying um, with Chinese medicine, but it, uh, actually learning about birth really um, fuels my passion to to keep going when that can feel really hard um, to know what I can bring to to women at birth in the future. And in terms of community it's probably more focusing on um, family and friends my sister just became a mother last year and 
yeah, there's a few friends That's around. Yeah. yeah, so it just became an auntie and just really having birth and family and children become part of my, my everyday life. Like not, not to the intensity or that closeness of my own children, but um, yeah, but being more informed, more skillful, knowing how to really support um, the women in, in my life personally, that, that feels like the most important thing for me at the moment. I, I find it all really fascinating, like as someone that's learning to be a birth, birth keeper and doula, in that um, as like home birth seems to be becoming less um, accessible to a lot of women because it's too expensive or there's no private practice midwives nearby, that you know, there's this shift to women just choosing, oh, well, I'll just birth, at home. like, I'll just do it by myself because maybe they're too traumatised to ever go back to a hospital again or, you know, and it's just interesting that that this shift of, like, women back to home, back to their own sovereignty and um, their own power to just trust their bodies and to birth, like we always have, is actually being pushed by the medical establishment in a way or that, you know, the, our governments and insurance companies and whatever they're actually really central to making that that shift because yeah if they weren't making it so hard women wouldn't be making that choice and I just find that really interesting and I'm definitely following observing that yeah with a lot of curiosity see how yeah see what's really happening underneath what comes to mind for me is about um bringing birth related conversations and I think someone touched on this just before in a presentation but bringing it to younger women like I'm not sure if schools yeah maybe schools like older high school um, age because I think that's a really big missing piece it certainly has been in in my experience of being a young woman and realizing wow I'm so uneducated I don't know anything about birth and all women should have this as part of their just common knowledge like it shouldn't be something you need to go learn about um and I guess that's part of changing culture. But if we could talk more about birth, home birth, you know, um, postnatal care, like just birth culture with younger women, I think that that would really create a really big shift. You know, I often hear of women having this experience and then they go away and just completely educate themselves. So they know absolutely everything there is to know about birth mm-hmm. so that they're ready to go in or ready to create their next birth experience the way they would have wanted it originally. And it's like, why do we need to have that? that whole traumatic process when you know yeah it'd be great to avoid that like it's really sad that that happens so frequently and um, I often think how can I talk to more young women you know reach out to more young women and be like this is actually a really exciting thing to think about now even if you don't have a partner even if you don't want to have a baby like just to make it common knowledge here is Ella who is a midwife and she talks about the first baby born at home through the ACT's first publicly funded home birth program she was a speaker oh today at the conference I spoke about um birthing through the um the the tertiary hospital Woden Um, And I was lucky enough to be the first woman to birth through the new publicly funded home birth trial that they opened. And um, I felt really lucky to be able to do that because I had um, been really interested in securing a home birth for myself uh, when I found out I was pregnant with my first daughter. Um, But I realised that there wasn't really a lot of options for me to birth at home. 
um, just due to access. There was a couple of private midwives who could offer me their services, but they didn't live very close to us. Um, and not only do we need to pay for them, but my partner, who is supportive of home birth, was still kind of worried um, about doing like going outside the mainstream options of care. Um, so that wasn't really an option for us then. And um, a colleague approached me to be involved in um, a lobby group in Canberra to um, try and get publicly funded home birth on the cards. And that was a really exciting and interesting process. Um, that midwife, her name's Sabina, and um, she's probably 50. I don't know. I don't want to give her the wrong age and um she I guess a few years ago she retrained to be a midwife she did the b-med and before that she was a pharmacist and she has three grown-up children um and she lives in Broome but she had come back to Canberra during that period to retrain she's a very passionate um woman very passionate um midwifery yes I don't know how she got that idea in her head but she just thought we're going to do something about um getting home birth into the hospitals and there was probably like four or five of us who would um, regularly meet and led by Sabina who had this like very canny way of thinking about things we would approach politicians and got um, a petition signed and I guess just made noise in the right places like she was she has very good at thinking about where are we going to get the most mileage or where are we going to get the most coverage? Yeah, and then through that kind of work, um, the home birth trial was announced and then it finally transpired that I was able to birth in there and at home. <laughs> I just had this idea when Maggie was speaking this morning, which I was I'm going to talk to my supervisor about this and see what we can do, but we should have an advertisement, you know, like a public health message. You know how she was saying about the sex story, about if a man was having sex... Yeah. And he was treated the way labouring women are treated in hospital. Would he be able to reach orgasm? And I don't think so. And I've heard that before. I think it's a really good metaphor, you know. And I think wouldn't it be great if there was just like a public health campaign where you somehow like artistically made an advertisement like that, and then everyone could watch that. So they'd be like, "Oh, this is very interesting." Yeah. <laughs> um, but look, I think it's a, mainly just like a huge cultural shift. So. I don't know, maybe something like women just having like a more empowered position in society would probably be a good start. Well, I think it's an interesting thing to think about because, you know, if it's like a, a male-dominated profession like engineering or obstetrics or medicine, you know, we're very keen to get more women involved. And I think, of course, that's good to have that kind of um, diversity of thought in any career. And I guess in midwifery, I don't often think, oh, man, like – it's really unequal and we need to have more men because I guess there is some sense that it still belongs to like the women's space and it's like women's knowledge. But so, so I don't feel like actively then think, oh, we really have to work on getting more men in here. But then I think if men want to be here and if they connect with that, that's great. Here is Maggie Banks, keynote speaker. I work as a home birth midwife and I work with the knowledge that women have taught me about birthing. I came with, um, yes, I'm not sure it's necessarily a new knowledge. I was quite taken aback, even though I'm well aware of the the trauma that women have um, undergone, I was quite taken aback to hear it spoken about as grooming and it it actually... um, it resonated in a way that uh, it won't leave me now. <laughs> I thought that was very powerful, talking about how women are groomed to um, be overrun at birth. 
you know, and that's that overrunning at birth was why I left the hospital setting. So it's, um, yeah, so I work in a home birth way, which is uh, probably the easiest position a midwife can be in in New Zealand because you're sort of just working with women who are busy giving birth and mothering. It's lovely. We have um, the... In New Zealand, our maternity services run um, from a contract from the Ministry of Health and it's done on modules of service like um, first, second, third trimester and, and labour and birth and postnatal, that sort of thing. It's completely funded by the um, state, completely home birth as well as um, you know self-employed midwives working in, in hospital settings and birthing unit settings. Um, we have a midwifery council of New Zealand, which covers the um, sets up the scope of practice for midwives and the um, all the, sta the standards of practice. Those or these um, the things that we run by of what a midwife runs by those standards. And then we have a, a uh, all the competencies we call them. And then we have the New Zealand College of Midwives, which um, sits as the professional body for uh, midwifery in New Zealand. Very different system. Um, yes, we have the opportunity to um, behave as midwives need to behave to support women during birth. And we, I mean, we have, we're not without our problems, but by crikey, nothing like what's going on here. It's definitely the um, things changed in 1990 uh, because women demanded, the, particularly the home birth movement, was um, very vocal and the home birth midwives are very vocal in getting those things before the need for midwifery autonomy before um, parliament. And um, so we had a change of, the, I mean, the College of Midwives did assist with that, but not, it was a, a consumer-driven thing. Yes, so there's been a big change in 1990. So midwives, were, we always had the home birth option there. Uh, from, from 1939, we had a maternity services benefit was available for all women wherever they birthed. Oh, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so we've had that publicly funded system mm -hmm. since then. We don't have the private system which is just an absolute blessing um, because that you know uh, because of the while an obstetrician can be a lead maternity care in New Zealand there's actually too much work involved for them to really be attracted to provide that care um, so they tend to um, with most obstetricians have gone out of private practice and the, they work in the hospital setting we don't call them private midwives we call them um, self-employed midwives or lead maternity carers they, they really should be called self-employed midwives because lead maternity carer the midwife name is missing from there it's really important we don't lose that because politically there's that thing that um, we have in the past been called nurses and then we were there was a big drive to for midwives to be called reproductive health workers I don't know the exact figure but hundreds and hundreds of self-employed midwives I think they're I'm yeah I'm, I can't actually tell you how many there were but I in my mind I have you know many hundreds there indigenous people are Māori in New Zealand but you know, there's always been about between 15-20% of the women I've cared for have been um, home birth women um, or have been Māori women who are birthing at home. 
And certainly we have uh, the greatest, huge numbers of young Māori women birthing at home. It's, um, it is just, it's always been part of the home birth movement, um, right back since the regeneration of it, which we basically started home birth again in the 70s. I think men are lovely, <laughs> and I don't really have an opinion about it. Um, it's, to me, birthing is women's business, and um, if men want to come and that's what they've made up with their partners, then that's perfectly fine. But the home birth movement in New Zealand has always had men involved because they were the child carers while the women were doing the... Yeah, yeah. And they've been um, incredibly supportive, you know, in, in the um, organisations. They were often, uh, you know, right back in the in the um, 70s, they were the people who were enabling their... Um, their jobs to support the home birth movement and you know doing the Xerox copying and the, you know, all sorts of things but you know men the women all sort that it's got nothing to do with me as a midwife you know it's um, that's about the dynamic relationship of um, yeah yeah so I really don't yeah but if you ask me about men in obstetrics I have quite a different <laughs> viewpoint I don't believe they belong at all. I mean, what, you, you must question why is a man involved in obstetrics? It's not, a, it's not part of the loving art of midwifery. If, if an obstetrician has a birthing woman um, at, you know, I think we've got to look at that thing that if an obstetrician has great interest in a woman, then the best thing he can do is get her connected to other women. They, they need to be have the skillful midwifery of um, have the skills of to perform the, the things that they do, but only that they should never be involved in normal birthing because it becomes such an endangered thing if they're involved. Oh, I think it's about talking. It's about that everything starts with a, with a consciousness raising, doesn't it? You know, and it's that which they've, you've held a workshop about that, and we're going to have another discussion about that. It's um, just incredibly important. It, Bashi talked about the dirty secrets. Those dirty secrets have to be exposed of what's happening. And the, uh, the opportunities for a, a healthy birthing need to be put forward. And that's what home birthing is all about. So it's, it's really about us, um, all of us really, having the courage to call it as it is and to talk about home birth being the... Um, what is it? I quite know how to explain it. It's almost like a flagship of healthy birthing. And um, so I think it's a lot of courage. The other thing is to um, that your people who are your legislators, you need to get into gear and get a funding model that um, actually supports women rather than the institutions and the, the self-interested people in them. I mean, there's midwives, an immensely powerful group who, if they wish, wish to, they could, um, when the, the um, things are happening within the hospital system, they could actually say no, collectively. No, I will not participate in that. No, I will not do that. And collectively, you get uh, the whole lot of midwives do, not doing it. You know, you get an, an immediate, quite miraculous change, actually. But that's about courage and support. Here is Dr. Blenda Mia, and she spoke about a case study breech birth, cord prolapse and being reported. She is a private practicing midwife.
Um, I think I've got quite um, an eclectic kind of background as a midwife. I've always been clinical. I've been a midwife for nearly 30 years now. But I've worked um, in home birth. I worked in the birth centres when they first opened. I did water birth when they wanted us to call Code Blue. I worked in MGPs before Labor Ward were able to, you know, kind of bully me to do it their way. So I had, you know... um, I've worked as um, midwifery advisor to the health minister in Queensland, three different health ministers very quickly. Um, I'm an academic, I've got a PhD, I teach students, I've got four children, home birth a couple. So, uh, and now I've just moved back into a job, um, Queensland Nursing and Midwifery Union in Queensland as a professional officer. So anything around professional issues for midwives. Um, and it's quite... It's quite a good, it's a very demanding job, but it's very good because it's, I'm on the other side now of the table to Queensland Health, which is awesome. <laughs> so I'm very much in that advocate. Um, um, the union has obviously got quite a number of members, so it gives it, you know, you've just got that backing behind you of um, that the union's kind of taken seriously. So for midwifery, I'm hoping that the union will become much more proactive in the mid- midwifery state um, space, and I'm certainly being supported very well in the QNMU around that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. You sort of yeah, the emotional work you put in. Um, I've just been doing private practice for the last three years, but and now I'm in this job. It's um, nine to five, which is harder. It's harder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, in its own way, it's harder because yeah, yeah um, compared to you know getting up at three in the morning, catching beautiful babies, and sitting up at the sunrise and all that sort of thing. Um, it it's a it's a different sort of an energy. Yeah, it's you don't get that beautiful high. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, it's only been a couple of months. Yeah, yeah, but I'm sort of trying to scheme my way into going back to you know beat someone's birth in February. Yeah, yeah. I will be able to eventually. I think I'll be supported. I'm well supported in the um, in QNMU, and I and I suspect um, next year sometime I might be able to take on a small case of myself. Not being afraid to be visible. I think. Um, it, it, is, it is hard. It is hard because the emotional, all you have to do is say to women, but I, all I, as a health professional, if I say, oh, but I'm worried about your baby, that puts, that immediately disempowers that woman because what's her answer going to be? Oh, well, I'm not worried about my baby. Whereas she's the one most invested in the outcome of that baby. But, but I think health professionals and obstetricians and even midwives have become very, very... Pa- and by the way, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm just, I always use that as an example to women to go... There's very easy ways to, to, to dislodge you from your sense of, I, I can do this, so that you're then in a position where you're actually defending yourself. Or def- you know, and, and so it's to try to get women, um, doulas, people to... Um, recognize the emotional manipulation that can happen because it's very very powerful and that's why women who are very uh, one of the speakers today was really great because she said oh i knew what i wanted and i was going to be in control and i I see it again and again again you know under the right sort of circumstances women end up saying yes to stuff that they would never have wanted because they're putting the position against, as though they're um, they're in opposition to their baby, and so it's bringing it back to going. We're not that women aren't in opposition with their baby. They're absolutely in tune with their baby, and if we've got pro- um, uh, worries or concerns, we need to. Um, what are they? What are those worries and concerns? How do we? You know, so women need to ask more questions. And I always used to say to women, even if the even if it's a terrible, terrible option, you should always have options. So even if in the obstetrician's mind the option is option A, you have this cesarean section, or option B, you, you and your baby can die, it's still an option. I mean, not a great... I don't know if that that was sort of the best way of putting that, but... Well, that's but, the thing, though, that I think we don't realise is that birth and death, and we need to accept that death may happen. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think women make smart decisions. They, you know, women home birth. I was the women I cared for in the last few years, in particular, were particularly um, high risk in that they'd had either cesarean sections or tra- very traumatic births. And so, for me, their risk level was around their their post birth trauma and how that would play into the next birth, not necessarily their obstetric trauma. Don't be afraid to keep asking the questions, you know. It might not end up being the answer that that you want, but if people are only giving you one answer, then you have to, you know, you have to challenge that all the time. And and don't be afraid. I really liked the woman that was talking about, don't be afraid to put yourself first. Because, you know, it's that, I mean, I remember years ago the whole, um, if you, if, if you look after the woman, the woman will look after the village sort of yeah. thing and, and whatever you get into around the, you know, the gendered sort of aspect of that. It's, it's so true. Women keep her healthy and fit and well and emotionally well. Um, and one of the things that I was talking about in my presentation today was some of the vilification of women's choices, how that then affects them and how they love and mother their babies is significant. And we don't pay attention to that. We just do what we do, send them on their way and then later on vilify them if they're not perfect parents which there's no such thing (laughs) the way authorities have gone after certain midwives and certain um, cases you know and the way they've gone about it when they you know there's other things that go are going on in the hospitals that are really ugly and really damaging and and the way that's invisible but these things are made not only made visible but vilified to to the point where it it doesn't just you know Regardless of whether you um, support women's choices or the midwives' choices or what, what all of that space, it still hurts everyone, everyone around them. No one wants a damaged or a dead baby or a damaged or a dead woman. No one wants that. You know, so there's pain in that, no matter what, no matter um, if if anyone's decisions, people, other people don't agree with it, doesn't matter. There's pain involved there. There's trauma. There's lives. There's families. There's all this other stuff, you know, so we're tackling it the wrong way and it's a really scary place for how the future could be for midwives providing services to women because it's like oh it's all right if they go out and free birth and the damage and danger for them in that not for some women not all women if it's a choice it's a choice but a lot of women aren't making that choice they're being forced into a decision because that's their for them that's their only next pathway And and I and I get that, you know, and it's and we need to be there, and uh, we need to be able to provide some sort of care provision to women. I mean, I personally think that every woman should um, should have a, a midwife, a known a named midwife that provides care no matter what. And I'm not saying that's an easy space for midwives, um, but I, I I really feel passionate about that. And make choices. We just it's not up to us. We don't have to. Well, we have to live with the professional side of it. But you know. In my experience, women, um, if you get to know them and understand them and they and they trust you, mm-hmm. on the whole, they'll pretty much trust you when you say, things aren't right now. How do you feel about me coming to the... I'll stay with you. I can't promise how things are going to be in hospital because we can't. So it's not scaring them about going to hospital, but, you know, you, it's... Unfortunately, and that's really wrong, but it's the luck of the draw if you get people that will then be either respectful or not to women. That's a whole different world of pain sometimes. Yeah, and just knowing that you've got still that midwife there. Yeah. Yeah, at least you're around for them and you're not, you know, just slung them off to, you know, have to face all that themselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's just reclaiming, like, that ancient midwifery that 
Yeah. Hung up. Yeah, and, yeah. And it used to be, I mean, when I was practising midwifery 30 years ago, some of the, some of the things, um, some of it was around, um, um, oh, you're, oh, you're so brave, I couldn't do that, or home birth's not safe, it's, you know, that's for the hippies over there, and they're mm. all, you know, you're all a crazy bunch of, you know, tree huggers or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah, in the yeah. day. But it kind of was okay. Like, you didn't mind. I'd, I never minded being called a hippie, you know. Yeah. That didn't bother me at all. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. kind of nice. It's a badge yeah. of honour and I still like it. We're yeah. looking very much less like hippies than we used to. Yeah. Yeah. But the culture has become very ugly toward, I think, it's gotten worse around midwives and the and the vilification of midwives. Like, yeah. you know, we can joke about we used to be called hippies and that. And people, you know, there was a lot of politics and stuff going on, but caring for a woman having a V-back 25 years ago, mm. 20 years ago now, um, and caring, or oh, H-back, oh, and caring for women having H-back now, it's still the same. It's still, it's still working through the reasons for their first caesarean section, their headspace, what they want, why they want it, why they want to birth at home, mm. all the things that they need, you know, getting their family, making them feel safe or, or helping mm. them to work out what makes them safe. Mm. None of that has changed. Mm. In 20 years, that hasn't changed. Yeah. What's changed is the pressures on everyone around that space. Yeah. You know, so the pressures on the midwife, even within her own profession, um, that makes her feel isolated and and um, um, unsafe. You know, and 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 for the woman, there's all sorts of other pressures. But you know, and that's what seems to have changed. Whereas. Caring for women is still lovely. It's still yeah, easy. It's still, yeah. <laughs> the women are at the easy part, yeah. you know, which is... It's, yeah. And it's unfair on women that it's become so hard for midwives. Yeah. And I think that's... I mean, that's... Yeah. I could get in... But yeah. that, I think that's definitely a reflection of the yeah. um, of the patriarchal system that just, you know, women are down here and, yeah. and how dare they yeah. regain any power. Yeah, that's what I was getting today. Just listening, it was all about collaboration, but the collaboration wasn't there. It yeah, was, that's right. It's, oh, absolutely not. had to be the little girl and go, oh, is it OK if I oh, like, do this or this? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was that's asked in one, one um, country hospital um, when I wanted to transfer a woman in in, in an emergency and they... Were, and they refused and later when I was talking to it I was told well you know if the doctors all get to know you and they all like you it's like I have not got time to go and find seven GPs and make friends with them so that yeah. then they go oh well it's okay for yeah. to transfer someone in yeah. you know and that's the, the pressure we're under is we've got to have be friends with everyone so you can't just go you know what what you just did then sucked you know you can't do that anymore because you've got to be nice and smart and, and it's that whole little girl thing absolutely I hadn't thought of it like that but it's it puts us back in a place that's yeah. really uncomfortable yeah. but you have to play in that space if you want to get what you want for your women yeah. to keep your women safe one of the things I'm finding frustrating is you know the code of ethics and the code of practice and the boundaries and da 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 I, I get that I get boundaries and all that but what what it dismisses is the intuitive kind of um, woman-centeredness of, mm. of actually falling in love with the woman you care for. But then you can let go of her. Not all of them. You don't. Some you'd say connected to forever and some you don't because they don't need you or you haven't connected that closely. But for me, every woman I've cared for, even if I've only had her for, looked after her for a shift, you find a way of connecting. And that's, that is a, the oxytocin making a bit, you know. But there is that sort of love it is. It's like yeah, falling in love yeah. every time. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you sometimes you fall out of love, and yeah. that's okay as well, yeah. you know. Yeah. But um, yeah. it's it's a you know it's we're tied up in all these code of ethics and you know all this other stuff mm. that I find really frustrating and limiting because it doesn't really articulate the extent to what 
the, to the emotional work that we do or the yeah. spiritual work or how yeah. we you it's know feel about that yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and we need to value that and we yeah. need to help people yeah. in and that space for student midwives I feel like I, we need to come into that space we, um, yeah. yeah and I understand because I've seen midwifery students being student midwives being um, taken advantage of in different not all the time but mm. some some have been and so you know you they set up these boundaries with the, the women they care for but uh, funny story I don't know that like about well, I was we were talking to the students and they were have had um uh, I think what was it um, maybe it was NBA had been in or whatever and anyway the lectures are all standing around they're going okay these are the different scenarios and they're teaching boundaries and stuff and the the, the head of school is going okay you know well there's this woman and she's um she, you know you um, she contacts you and she's having a christening for a baby would you go to the christening and they're all going oh well, you know it's not really professional and blah 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 and then they get to me and they go and what would you say Belinda and I said First of all, what's really important is their booze involved. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, they'd have yeah. got, of course, I'd like to go to the christening or the yeah. birthing, whatever ceremony yeah. they're having. And yeah. you certainly see that in the home birthing community. Yeah. You see that, yeah. that, that interconnectedness, you know, um, yeah. that's really, really powerful. And that's yeah. what um, I think the, the way birthing is happening at yeah. the moment, the pressure on midwives is, is trying to break all that interconnectedness. And I'm yeah. trying to think of, I know, I mean, you know, you know in Hercules how that, um, what's his name? The, I mean, he's the god of death, so but, I shouldn't probably, but you yeah. know, he cuts the, the, those three witches cut the ties of different pe- Anyway, mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, how they, it just seems like there's yeah. ties being cut, you know, yeah. and, and little, yeah. just little snips, you know, like um, little, you know, death by a hundred yeah. cuts, a yeah, thousand yeah, cuts, cuts, you know, because yeah. it's little things that are happening and, yeah. and we're accepting them so that then yeah. um, we only crack about the really big cuts, not realising that all these little cuts happening down here like yeah. are really, yeah. are really, really, yeah. we can't go back to that because we're, we're trying to win the big stuff. Yeah. And we've let this little stuff go on. And one of the things that happens with all those little cuts is sometimes people then, it's like um, they they shift away from from their from their their herd, their crowd, their their whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's when midwives can get in a dark place and, and leave, yeah. or or maybe not do the right things or whatever. Yeah. So I think you know, for maintaining those connections is really important. Are really important yeah. uh, for you as well. You know, as a as a student. Um, yeah just to keep you you connected to the healthy sort of side of everything because yeah. it is good I mean it is beautiful yeah. we stay in this really difficult space yeah. not getting paid a great deal yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. feeling guilty for yeah. it like guilty. we do because yeah. we're women yeah. and we'd love to do it you know yeah. um it, because it's because of the highs that you get and the beautiful you know women for me you know women who've you know even if whether they've had a um successful vaginal birth after cesarean at home mm. or whether they've had to come into hospital and and have another cesarean section and i've had quite a few women like that mm. but the most of them will will still feel that that is an ex- a really positive experience because we still still their birth mm. and they've had they've made the decisions along the way yeah. You know, they've been in control and that's what they needed to do again. You know, timely and appropriate trans, um, transferring in from a home to hospital is really... I'm really passionate about that too. Instead of saying it's a failed home birth or, or that mm. we got told, I got told once, you know, don't be bringing your messes into hospital. Mm. No, that's that's so ugly. That's yeah. just a woman and her yeah. baby and her family that you're talking about. Yeah, and it's not a mess. It's, yeah. it's you know, things have gone well. Yeah. She's got a health professional with us. We've all gone, you know what? Maybe time to line in the sand, let's go into hospital now where that becomes the safest place to be. Look, I've had some beautiful transfers yeah. in where it's, you know, been, well, Belinda, do you think she needs Sinto? No, 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 no. We've, you know, we've done everything we can. This baby's just not coming out. Yeah. And they've talked to the woman and, and you know, yeah. um, 
and they've done a lotus birth for her because she just yeah. wanted to wait for the cord to stop yeah. pulsating, things like that. But that's good. You know, you've had we've had times where it's been really respectful and lovely, and the outcome for that woman is fabulous. Yeah. And then I've had lots where it's been really ugly, and yeah. they've pushed back really hard against the midwives yeah. or me. Yeah. And then you have to suck it up and take a lot of a lot of crap to try to hope that well, if they're giving me all this shit, maybe they'll give her less shit, you know, and and all that sort of stuff that you do as a midwife as well. You're listening to the Circle of Birth podcast, circleofbirth.com. And here's another Belinda, Belinda Costello, and she spoke about I'm important. She's a mum of four and a home birth mum of three and her four babies, which are all home birth after caesareans. I want to say to women... um, that on the day that they give birth, it's really important that they understand that it's actually okay for them to prioritise themselves. Um, we have a real problem in our society with, you know, when it comes time for a woman to give birth, that, you know, oftentimes there's competing needs in the room. You know, the husband, the partner, the mother, somebody else um, will come along. And, and, that, and, you know, when you're planning for a birth, a lot of people will speak up and express what their needs are. And oftentimes we expect the woman, the mother, to make other people comfortable on that day. So we we often ask a woman to compromise. You know, in, in the case of home birth, it's often, you know, a father doesn't really feel comfortable with home birth or doesn't feel comfortable with this or doesn't feel comfortable with that. And essentially ask the woman to make him feel comfortable so that he's not you know, uncomfortable on the day of the birth. But I have a real problem with this. And I, and it's because I, I, you know, I have a real problem with people wanting women to be uncomfortable, you know, to make them comfortable. And I, I said to my husband um, after our first birth ended in a cesarean, um, I realised that I had made him really comfortable. And I think not because... I don't think he asked me to make him comfortable out of any sort of sense of, you know, entitlement that he held consciously. It was just that that's just what women do. We make other people around us comfortable. But I, you know, learned a really big lesson with my first birth and learned that I um, really needed to be comfortable with asking my husband to be uncomfortable. And so for our second birth, which is a, a home birth after cesarean, that's exactly what I did and I just said to him look it's really important that I'm comfortable and I'm okay with you being uncomfortable to make me comfortable um so he had a lot of things that he had to work through and I just I guess I said to him you know can you just go off and do that over in the corner there somewhere else because you know that's your job to make yourself comfortable that's not my job and I'm you know I'm I think that on the day a woman pushes a baby out of her vagina that it's okay for everyone else to make her comfortable and for them to be uncomfortable for her comfort. And I think that's a really confronting thing to say because I see women literally take a step back when you say it to them sometimes. You know, be comfortable with other people being uncomfortable for your sake. Um, Yeah. One of the things that really resonated when you were speaking at the conference was worrying about the expectations of other people in your birth and I've had this since doing the podcast come up a few times where 
people have spoken in retrospect about what would have happened if they didn't go, oh, I can't do this because what will the doula think? I could get this person in trouble if I decided I wanted to have this baby because I'm really ready to have this baby. No, I can't do that. This person might get in trouble. Yeah. I don't want to put this person out. Oh, no, they might be sleeping or, um, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have they eaten? What are they? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, we're so socialised to worry about everybody else, even – even on the day that we're pushing a baby out of vaginas, vaginas yeah. we are sat there worrying and caring for everybody else. And I think it's time for a real shift, you know. Um, I think that women need to get comfortable asking for those needs to be met. Um, you know, when I was first, um, when I first came to mothering, you know, I'm an emergency nurse and um you know, I felt so strong and, you know, powerful and a kind of in control person. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that birth motherhood taught me was that, that, yeah, I could do everything, but, you know, I can do things better if, if I have help, you know. And I think that, you know, that being willingness to have our own needs met sort of ties into that, you know, that, that it's okay to let other people help us and support us and all the rest of that. Um, in our mothering journeys as well as in our birthing journeys. But um, I think that's a you know, real lesson about how important we are and why it's important to um, have our needs met. I had done midwifery led care through the birth center up in Townsville and I really felt very conscious of the fact that the midwives there were getting given a hard time. And um, when I was labouring, I was, you know, very aware of not being a difficult patient and not getting, putting, you know, not putting her in a position where she would be, um, you know, going to get in trouble or uh, have to explain my choices, you know. I, so I was very willing to try to be helpful, but I didn't really realise, I guess, the price I was going to have to pay for that. Um, and that really impacted then later on on um, my choices for my next midwife um, because I was determined not to fall in love with my next mm-hmm. midwife so I wouldn't have to worry about her feelings, her needs. I was, you know, going to stay all detached and everything because then I could just focus on making sure that my needs were met and I, you know, I realised that actually to give birth I don't need to have the best midwife in the world, you know, because it's me who has to do the work, Mm. not the midwife. Um, But so I was really determined with my second birth to not have that worry. But I was also really lucky. I had um, Rachel Reed as my midwife for my um, second birth, Um, and, and she was really clear with me that it, that, that, that it wasn't my job to worry about her, that she, you know, she'd say, I've got, you know, I've got big girl panties, I can wear them <laughs> and you don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about me, you don't have to look out for me. But I still did in some ways, but not during the birth, but just prior, you know, I, I did go to a couple of antenatal appointments at the local hospital and I just kept her name completely out of it because I was still very conscious of the fact that with all the vexatious reporting that was going on, um, that if I used her name and, you know, something happened or not even something happened, somebody had a bugbear about HBAC, that, you know, she could definitely pay a price. Mm. And so I think, you know, that's part of us as women, we do that anyway. But um, 
definitely going into the birth, I didn't feel like I had to worry about her. And I made sure that also I didn't have to worry about my husband. You know, I said to him, you do not have to, um, you know, you don't have to be here. If you're scared, if you're worried, if you're uncomfortable, there's a bottle of whiskey out there. Go and make use of it. But don't bring that into my birth space. You know, I, I can't worry about you this time. I'm not going to worry about you this time. I have set things up so that you're taken care of in so much as I've told you what your job is. And I've you know, told you it's okay if you're not there, if you're scared. Um, but, yeah, wow. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, I'm not just reflecting on that to such a really empowering way to find yourself going really within and connecting with baby and having that labor experience um yeah you know i just sort of wonder too i just think kind of think of a lot of our journey sometimes and how we do like in this sort of modern you know men are new to the birth space and we seem to be yeah, doing a massive. lot of work to embrace them which is good but then maybe on the one hand are we taking it too far and it's a little bit of a social a experiment don't you think like you know i remember my dad brought his way into the birth suite when i was born and you know that was 38 years ago yeah. um and and i i definitely think that there are some men who are not only welcome in the birth space but also make you know great in that space but certainly not all of them are and I think that we need to really respect the fact that um, men do different things when faced with a problem you know and that they don't all fit in that space and I think sometimes we've kind of got this ideological I you know thought that that's how a man a good man will be with his woman you know and support her but actually sometimes I think a good man knows his limits yeah. And a good woman knows her husband, her partner, her husband, whoever's with them, her limits and just says, you yeah, know, actually you're not the right one for this job. I need women folk because women support in such a completely different way to the way men do, yeah. you know. And we know this. They want to fix it all. Yeah. They want to, yeah. you know, stop all the pain. And, yeah. you know, that's when you get all that colluding with obstetricians that happens where he just wants it to be fixed and actually. Yeah. I always think it's a little bit like, you know, if you're trying to climb Mount Everest and uh, you've got a helicopter hovering next to you saying, you know, you could just get in, you could just get in. Instead of saying, hey, you're doing a great job, they just like, we could, we could take all this hard work away. Yeah. And actually, it doesn't help women to not do their journey, you know, to take that rite of passage from them. I don't think it helps. Mm. You know. What I did, I spoke with a man called Robin Grill and did a interview, mm -hmm. and he spoke in depth about what goes on as in his yeah. eyes as a man watching birth, and he spoke about the fact that he did a lot of work, sort of rebirthing work himself before he went into this, and the triggers of even yeah. the noise um, from his own yeah. birth, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about is, um, and I see it a lot. Um, like I see it in, as a lot as a doula but as in like say you know birth movies or whatever I, I can always pinpoint it there's this point where the partner will intently stare at the midwife and Robin Grill spoke about it. he said sometimes you know if you're on a flight and things get a bit shaky you you tend to look at the hostess or the host yeah know. if she's not worried yeah yeah, yeah. 
and I find that um, there's this look that I can see sometimes in men and they just stare at that midwife and you're like, yeah, you're just waiting for that moment, aren't you, just to see if she... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even just unconsciously you just don't realise just the words. The touch, touch. The how you say, what you say, yeah. are you, you know, are you okay instead of you are okay, okay. Yeah. all yeah. of that sort of thing, yeah. yeah. So moving on further, how do you think, what's your sort of thoughts on how people can support groups such as Home Birth Australia and support the conference? And um, I don't know, I, I, think, I, I think we need to see women... You know, more empowered, and I, it's such a it's such an easy thing to say. We just need women more empowered. But mm. I think, yeah, you know, we really need to just be having these conversations with women to say, you know, you're important. What happens to you is important, and that'll you know affect how you parent, and that will affect how you can function. You know, and the best way to get um, good outcomes for a, a woman and a baby is to have that continuity of care that relationship-based care and it's almost exclusively only able to be gotten in home birth care you know yeah, yeah, um yeah. and I you know now it's, it's funny seeing since with my second birth I was like quite intent not to bond with my midwife but you know actually the relationship is where it's all that that's why it works yeah. um and so you know and I think I don't I don't know I think the Australian home birth issues are so complex um, and we, really, we need a massive shift, you know. Um, but I look at it, I think it's a society shift, you know. I look all around me at women in our society who, you know, when I talk about this stuff, I often see women just literally physically take a step back when I tell them that they're important mm. and that it's okay for them to make other people uncomfortable some days. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that's where... It, we have to make a shift is that we have to start, as a culture start to go no no that's that's okay she's allowed to make you uncomfortable that's you know she doesn't have to spend her whole entire life including while she's pushing a baby out of her vagina making you feel comfortable mm. but that's a big that's a big cultural shift you know and I don't yeah. know how you do that um in a short space of time but I think when women really are comfortable just having their own needs met then I think that there's a lot in home birth that attracts women and oftentimes the reasons that they don't home birth is due to everybody else's discomfort, not their own. You know, I think a lot of women instinctively go towards it, but you know, everybody from the husband to the obstetrician at the local hospital has an issue with it. Yeah, how we how we change that as a culture, I don't know, but I'm just doing it one woman at a time, one person I speak to at a time. And reminding them, you know, you own your body, you're important, what happens to you is important, you're a small part of a really big cog and how you function is, you know, how you're going to function as a, how you function as a woman affects the function of your family and the function of your family affects the function of your community and you are the, you are the bedrock of your family, you're a woman, that, you know, that's a massive thing and my family does not function without me. Here is Janine O'Brien and we did a catch-up on Skype after the conference, so thank you to her. Uh, We talked about the challenges of continuity care at home, the modern-day witch hunt of midwives, which is what she spoke about at the conference. Janine is a mother of two and a privately practising midwife in Sydney. 
so what I spoke about was about um, the witch hunt of midwives being a probably a, a provocatively um, political kind of um, modern day, I suppose, yeah, real hunt of those who are providing uh, safe, effective um, continuity of care for women who are, and, and you know, not all of them will make choices outside of the guidelines, but even, you know, women who are birthing at home, it's outside of the norm. I think, you know, we're down to 0.03% of women who are birthing at home. So, you know, you, you're you not really birthing with mainstream women. So for everyone else, they think that, you know, these choices that are they're making are really outside what you know, most women would be choosing, which is to birth in hospital. But then you've got also a whole lot of women who are making, on top of birthing at home, they make, you know, other choices like, for instance, the, a vaginal birth after caesarean at home, so H-back we call it. Um, and I suppose it's being, being the providers who bring women in when things are deviating from normal you know, which we would think that would be a safe thing to do, um, that's when midwives are hunted because that's when we're seen by the system. Um, and it's not just, I suppose, I mean, it's the women that are being affected by it, but at the end of the day, if, <laughs> if they take the choices away from women by hunting down the people who are providing these services, then the, the women, if they just took the services away from women and said, right, you can't do home birth anymore, you know, there would be a mass hysteria. So instead of going um, through um, taking the women's choices away, they go after the people who are providing those services, and that's, that's us midwives. Since I've been doing or working in a continuity of care model, which was back in 2008. Um, and we lobbied outside Canberra and, you know, every hurdle that they've asked us to jump or negotiate or to swerve or, um, you know, to maintain, we've done. We've met every criteria. And, and you know, I think that the saddest thing is that I know we provide a gold standard of care and... You know, I go into these environments and see the way women are treated, um, and you know these 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 places that are that boast you know a gold standard of care through their policies and their procedures really, you know, um, they change according to the person who who's actually um, just deciding which policies are the ones that the women should be, you know. Um, pertaining to really language we use with women um, I believe um, is very different and it becomes very loud when in comparison when you go in um, they the system says not everybody but there is a large majority that believe that you know women lose their autonomy um, once they're laying on that bed underneath them and whilst a woman's in labor just because she looks like she's in labor land she's still very conscious and has every right to still make informed decisions you know and that's what i think um some healthcare providers i just think that they they become very aggressive 
um, because the like you're right, they they think that this woman has made a dangerous decision and she should be punished for it. So let's you know. Um, treat her terribly when she's transferred in and it might not even be an emergency transfer. most of the time it's not an emergency transfer um, so we have time to make decisions and yet everybody is carrying on like it, you know it is a um, catastrophic emergency I personally I haven't fizzled out I've um, I feel that each time I've made a new decision in my career pathway. It's been uh, forced by passion um, and, and not being able to tolerate the way things are in the current climate. So it kind of forces me um, into a, a better place. And I couldn't ever go backwards. And that would be, you know, going back to work in a system. I can only believe that the best place for me is to keep working for the women in, in our community. Um, and the best way to work for women is outside of the policies and procedures that uh, the hospital boasts that are there for safety. Um, so I suppose, I mean, recently, I don't know, I'm sure you have, because I think I saw some um, things of yours, but we've all just been through a ridiculous um, auditing process. I mean, no other health profession has been singled out to um, prove how we're staying in line with the current um, uh, guidelines, policies, and all the rest of it, you know, as far as home birth goes. So I, I think there needs to be uh, more support from our governing body, which is the Australian College of Midwives. I don't personally believe that we get a lot of support from them. Um, I think sometimes people have said that it's because we're so um, so small in number. And then I kind of think, well, if we're so small in number, wouldn't it be easier to support us? Exactly. Um, and, you know, bring back our insurance. Some We need we need birth insurance. It's, um, it, it's really scary every single time you, your phone calls your phone goes and you have to walk out the door and know that if anything happens, this is on you, this is on your family, this is on everything I've worked towards my entire life, you know, um, is not protected by insurance because we don't have birth insurance. So, um, and I thought that all of these things that we were doing were working towards being able to find um, an insurer that would protect not only us but also women's outcomes because not not all bad outcomes happen because of someone's actions or omission of action either, you know. Um, yet women in hospital have um, the protection of insurance when something happens during the birth experience. When I went for my interview with the Nursing and Midwifery Council, which was near eight months after the complaint came through, so I wasn't, I didn't get a chance to speak to anybody during that eight months. I was it was a crippling time for me to be um, accused of doing something which my whole life is about, which is bringing safety to both mums and babies. So to be accused of doing something the opposite of that, when I and it, it actually infuriated me because I actually, I believe that standing up and advocating for that woman's human rights to be able to say no to somebody putting their hand inside their vagina, um, and then to be to to be <laughs> Um, you know, um, 
accused of breaching my <laughs> duty of care. Um, I, it just didn't make any sense to me at all. But um, it's more. It was like I was guilty, and I had to prove myself innocent um, by so many ways and means. I had to collect, you know, letters and. Um, 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 references from clients and colleagues and and it was ongoing it didn't stop you know even though I, I would fill in one or complete one process then along came another and then along came another and they would hardly give you any time to um, finish it you would it would be unreasonable to say the least um, of the time that I had to get these requests back to them um, yeah yeah and then I was blamed when I when I actually sat down and that and I asked them why didn't someone just call me? They're like, oh well, you know, it's a bureaucratic process; it has to go through these processes. And I was like, it all helped me feel a little bit better. All you had to do was ring me up and talk to me, you know. Yeah, and I, I think too, like you did mention when you were speaking, the flow and effect that had to you and your family um, during that time. Yeah, it's really hard because you come home and you know, no, when unless you work in this way, it's really hard to understand. I think the enormous um, responsibility um, that you walk out the door every single day with two people's lives in your hands, and then you know, coming home on the back of that that, that report. Um, that your whole career and everything you've worked for could actually be completely taken away from you and your livelihood, um, the way you provide, you know, for your family could all just be taken away in an instant from somebody's vexatious report. It's really hard for your family to quite, I don't think they quite get the gist of it. And I, even the people that work in the system, I, I don't think they quite get the enormity of it. The only people I found comfort with was other midwives who were working in private practice who'd also been reported and you know uh, <laughs> unfortunately half of them <laughs> are in Sydney that I know of um, mm. so actually um, I did find counsel in those midwives um, and there was a lot of them um, yeah so that's pretty much I mean the consensus I got again from leaving the conference was we need to stick together and support each other it does have to come from you the women you know because yeah. Um, well, well, that's that's you know women-centered care as well. It always needs to come from the women, and we can jump up and down, but you, most of the time, you know, you're gagged and you're bound. You can't be, because of certain laws, and you know, APRA put out certain media things, so we can't even talk about it in the media. Um, we can't talk about it on Facebook. We can't talk about it anywhere. So really, the women, but you know. A lot of the time when things haven't gone right in hospitals, women won't complain about their experience because they're already up to the next part in their life with their new baby that's so busy. So, you know, a lot of them don't, you know, go back and complain about the way that they've been treated. Um, it wasn't until, you know, um, this woman that I worked with, Karen, until I was reported that she then wrote a letter back to the hospital you know, so we did think about it because it was a really traumatic experience, but then we all move on. We dealt with it at the time and then you move on, you know. Um, but, yes, we do have to get, get women's voices louder and get them to be, um, you know, 
sharing what's really going on from from their side. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Appreciate your words. <laughs> Thanks. Did this episode tickle your heart, move and rattle you in its wisdom? I hope you resonated with the show. Please head over to the website circleofbirth.com for show notes, including my personalised take on the episode, pictures, resources and how you can connect with a storyteller. Sign up to the newsletter and most importantly, please help this show grow to its full potential of serving you in its ancient wisdom. Donations made easy via PayPal. All donations will be received with love. Head to circleofbirth.com slash donate. And yes, I'd love an iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we become. We are you.